This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. On the surface, our passage from Luke's Gospel with the account of the healing of the ten lepers seems very straightforward. A wonderful miracle of healing is combined with a simple takeaway, always remember to say thank you. The end. Well, uh, to make a short story long, there's actually a lot more in these nine verses. Yes, it is a story about healing, And yes, there is a challenge to be grateful, but I think there are at least six important lessons that we can learn from this narrative. Our gospel passage is no doubt familiar to many of us, but this morning I want us to slow down with this text and see what the Lord may have for us. First, this account in Jesus' life and ministry teaches us something about suffering. Verse 12, as Jesus entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Leprosy, also known as Hansen's disease, is a long-term and pretty dreadful infection, which in the time of Jesus was incurable. It's a horrible disease in which, as Rua or somebody reminded us with the kids earlier, um, you don't feel any pain. And so you're really susceptible to getting burnt or injured. Um, But much worse than the physical symptoms is is what happens to you as a person. Because socially you are an outcast and religiously you are unclean. Well, as these men approached Jesus, Luke tells us that they kept their distance. Well, of course they did. They didn't dare to come close to ask for help. So they call out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Luke tells us that all this takes place in the region between Samaria and Galilee, and we learn later in the story that one of the ten was a Samaritan. You know, suffering is a great leveler. Normally, Jews would have uh, no dealings with a Samaritan. They hated each other. But it seems that what they shared in their common suffering was greater than that which drove them apart. Isn't this so often true? You know, in a a hospital ward, those suffering the ravages of illness may be rich or poor. They may be Christian or Muslim. They may be from homes that are mansions or they may be homeless. Regardless of your socioeconomic background, couples whose marriages are falling apart, parents who grieve kids who've turned their backs on them or God, those who feel isolation or rejected, all discover that suffering is no respecter of persons. Perhaps nowhere is that more clearly seen um, than at an AA meeting or some other anonymous group gathering. You know, at such a meeting, it doesn't matter whether you drive a Porsche or you ride the bus. In step one of a 12-step program, the person who is an addict admits that he or she is powerless over their addiction. 
It's an important step. It's a vital step. Indeed, without starting there, an addicted person has little hope of recovery. And here's the thing. It's the same for every human being as we stand before God in the grip of our own addictions to sin, selfishness, and rebellion. At our parish retreat last weekend and over the next several weeks, we're thinking about how as Christians we may surprise the world in good ways. Well, here's one way. We can learn from the lepers. We can surprise the world in our humility, not thinking of ourselves as better than others, but humbly acknowledging our common humanity, regardless of background or status. When it comes to our standing before God, the place on which we stand is level ground. The scriptures teach us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes it takes suffering for us to realize that. But I hope we need not wait for such. Well, the second lesson uh, from the account of the healing of the ten lepers is about prayer. Look at what the group of ten men say. They cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 19th century English Bishop J.C. Ryle writes, If saints could only see their souls as the ten afflicted lepers saw their bodies, they would pray far better than they do. The cry of the lepers can also be translated, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I wonder when was the last time you asked anyone to have pity on you? Pitiful is typically a kind of bad word, and asking for pity or begging for mercy, well, these things are seen as signs of weakness. Usually the last thing we want from others is their pity, and yet, when we come before God, that is exactly what we need. We need his mercy. For even our own goodness is frankly pitiful. We need our master Jesus to have pity on us for our unworthiness. So are you willing to cry out for Jesus to have mercy on you? I wonder how often are you afraid to be vulnerable with others because of fear that they might judge you. They might betray you. They might look down upon you. When the lepers cried out to Jesus, Jesus did not betray their confidence. He did not look down on them. He did not judge them. Instead, moved to compassion, he healed them. And their plea is similar to what many know and use today as the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. This is a very basic prayer that we can pray anywhere, anytime. It's a prayer that may come out of suffering or failure. It's a prayer of humility. A prayer that Jesus is happy to hear and receive and respond to. We can surprise the world by being those who humbly pray. We can pray for ourselves, we can pray for our loved ones, and we can pray for strangers without embarrassment, anywhere, anytime. You know, last week I, was, I went to the dry cleaners to pick up a suit. It had been delayed for three weeks. And I was getting 
a bit frustrated by this. The shop kept being closed and I could never get it. Well, I noticed the open sign, so I, I swung in and went to get my suit. Well, my frustration about the delay paled into insignificance when the woman behind the counter serving me said the reason for the delay was there'd been an explosion at the dry cleaning warehouse. She told me that the business owner was in the hospital, having been um, burnt 70% of their body, and all of the employees were about to be unemployed. What could I say? Well, I simply said, well, could I pray for you? And she said, yes, please. And so I did. This little account from Luke's Gospel teaches us about suffering, teaches us about prayer, and thirdly, teaches us about faith. After the men asked for mercy, Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priest, which was the custom. If you had such a skin disease, you had to first be declared clean again by the priest before you could re-enter society. But the point here is that they still had leprosy at that moment. It was as they went that they were cured. That meant believing against the evidence and trusting Jesus. Then as they went, the evidence changed. And in a way, that's almost a definition of faith, uh, trusting in that which we cannot necessarily prove. In Hebrews 11, chapter 1, it's faith is described as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If we want or insist on everything being plain and clear before we take a step of faith, well, then that's not really faith. Faith is trust. Even when we don't understand and even when we cannot see the way ahead, and it's not a blind trust, it's trust in God in his goodness, in his power, in his wisdom, in his timing, and in his love. Well, in the story, only one of the ten comes back to thank Jesus, but all of them had enough faith to go to the priest, as Jesus had told them to do. We can surprise the world as people of faith as we believe and trust in God, even against all odds. So we've learned about suffering, about prayer, about faith, and fourthly, there's something here about gratitude. All ten were healed, but only one came back to say thank you. Luke tells us, verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Note, this was not some British, slightly embarrassed, awfully grateful Jesus. Thank you ever so much. No, he was shouting his praises with complete abandon. He prostrates himself at Jesus' feet and thanks him. I'm reminded of our passage from last Sunday when a woman anointed Jesus' feet um, with a jar of very expensive perfume. It was kind of over the top. It was extravagant. Why? Because that woman, like the tenth leper, knew that they were in need of forgiveness and healing and that in and of themselves they had nothing to bring. So that when they received mercy, pity, forgiveness, healing, their gratitude simply overflowed. 
at the enormity of what Jesus had done for them. I wonder how grateful are you for what God has done for you? Perhaps it was the Samaritan alone who returned because he had a much deeper sense of what had been done for him. You know, I think sometimes those who've been a part of the church for a long time can think of themselves as being pretty decent people. We may have put in time and effort and money into being a Christian. We may have given up things that we might have otherwise enjoyed doing. And, and with that can come a kind of sense of entitlement. The notion that in some way, well, you know, we deserve to be blessed by God. No. This story reminds us that it's those who are most conscious of what's been done for them that are closest to the heart of God. In Psalm 103, the psalmist declares, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name, who forgives all your sin and heals all your infirmities, who saves your life from the pit and crowns you with mercy and loving kindness. You know, each Sunday here, as we uh, celebrate the Eucharist, at the start of the Eucharistic prayer, the priest prays, it is right, our duty and our joy, always and everywhere, to give thanks. To give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Um, yes. I, I love the, um, the, the prayer book's full of thanksgivings, by the way, in case you didn't know. But I love the thanksgiving prayer that you can find it towards the back opposite the, uh, the litany of thanksgiving that I introduced to the children. But I want to read it and pray this prayer just in the middle of the sermon um, as a reminder of all that we can be thankful for. So let's just bow our heads and pray. Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the splendor of the whole creation, for the beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the mystery of love. We thank you for the blessing of family and friends and for the loving care which surrounds us on every side. We thank you for setting us at tasks that demand our best efforts and for leading us to accomplishments that satisfy and delight us. We thank you also for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. Above all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the truth of his word and the example of his life, for his steadfast obedience by which he overcame temptation, for his dying through which he conquered death, and for his rising to life again in which we are raised to the life of your kingdom. Grant us the gift of your spirit that we may know Christ and make him known and through him at all times and in all places may give thanks to you in all things. Amen. We have so much to be thankful for. Let us surprise the world as people of gratitude. Pray for a thankful spirit. Okay, four down, two to go, doing very well. We've considered suffering, prayer, faith, gratitude. Fifthly, we learn in these verses something about grace. The healing of the ten lepers speaks of God's grace to everyone. The men's healing didn't depend on them coming back to say thank you. Jesus healed them anyway. 
It's not as if, you know, the healing of the other nine was going to be reversed. I think it's worth saying that God does all kinds of good things for everyone, whether they acknowledge him or not. He is the creator God. Jesus himself said, speaking of his heavenly father, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. There are many people who are not Christian believers who are nevertheless blessed by God. And one thing that we can do as Christians is be people who acknowledge what God in his grace has done for us and be those who turn back to say thank you. But whether we're Christians or not, we can take pleasure in beauty, in family, in creation, in work, in love, in friendship. These gifts are unconditional. They don't depend on us acknowledging God as our Savior. Though as Christians, certainly we want to thank God for his grace. Let us then surprise the world by living as recipients of grace, not as those who feel entitled and let us also be extenders of God's grace to others. We can love and serve our neighbors, not because our neighbors necessarily deserve our kindness, but despite the fact that they may not. This is grace. And grace is powerful. So we've learned something about suffering, about prayer, about faith, about gratitude, about grace. And finally, we learn from this account of the ten lepers about salvation. The story began with ten men who were at a distance, but it ends with just one coming close, falling at Jesus' feet. The physical distance was gone, but so too were the racial, religious, and cultural distances. Every barrier, every cause of separation, every kind of alienation between the one who returned and God was removed. Jesus said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well, which literally translates as your faith has saved you. So while all ten were physically healed in faith, only one was saved. Salvation in Christ includes healing, but it includes so much more than healing. It is ultimately about being reconciled to God as we fall at Jesus' feet and worship him. You know, before we encountered Christ, if you have, before we encountered Christ, we were like the lepers. Not that we had leprosy, not even that we were outcasts of society. Indeed, we may have been upstanding citizens, well-educated, well-trained, respected by our peers and liked by our friends. But without Christ, no matter what our outward appearances, inwardly we were wasting away, addicted to sin and destined for death. No matter how connected we were in our community, we were alienated from God, the true source of life. No matter what our ethnic origin is, Jew or Samaritan, white, African-American, Hispanic, Russian, Asian, before being saved through Christ, we were all aliens of that country called the kingdom of God. Only through the miraculous, gracious mercy and love of our master and savior can we be healed and saved from that separation from God. 
Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God offers us the gift of salvation, of healing and wholeness, reconciliation with God the Father, the giver of life. Now, for those who have accepted this gift, that does not mean that we no longer struggle with sin or temptation or fears, or that we no longer suffer from disease or even physical death. Of course not. And yet, Christ is our hope. Sin and death no longer have ultimate power over us because Jesus' death and resurrection have broken the power of that sin and death. As we obey Jesus' command to follow him, so we too are cleansed. What a cause for celebration and an outpouring of gratitude to God. So this week, I hope you'll try and remember these six lessons from the story. The lessons of suffering, prayer, faith, gratitude, grace, and salvation. And finally, let us go from here and surprise the world, our families, our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues, as we share in the sufferings of others, as we pray for Jesus to have mercy on us, and as we humbly pray for others, as we exercise faith and trust in God, as we live as people who are grateful and daily give thanks, as we live always mindful of God's grace to us, and as we extend grace to others, and as we follow Jesus, safe in the knowledge of his saving love, always ready to invite others to come to Jesus. Amen.